My sense is that the real promise of our connected future that has been offered to us through the internet and through the advances in technology over the last 15, 20 years, we haven't fully recognized or realized. I'm Justin Lokitz from Business Models, Inc., and on today's show, how Cato Keefe is actively designing the future of innovation within Cisco's hyper-innovation living lab, better known as Chill, and how the future of work will show up in the next living lab. Okay, you ready? I'm ready. Well, let's do it. So today we're at the Cisco offices, speaking with Kato Keefe. Welcome, Justin. Thank you very much. And uh, why don't we just start off a little bit, tell us a little bit about you and uh, what you do and your role here at Cisco. Yeah, so I am a senior director at Cisco who leads the CHILL program. CHILL stands for Cisco Hyper Innovation Living Labs. Uh, and our superpower, our focus is exclusively on disruptive areas of innovation that require many parties, many outside parties and corporations to participate in that innovation process for Cisco to see the shifts in the marketplaces that it needs to grow. Great. This Cisco Hyper Innovation Living Labs, there's a lot of words in there. Maybe give us a little bit of what is the hyper innovation in that mean and what is the living part? Because I think there's something really interesting there. Yeah, sure. So. Um, the hyper-innovation comes, well, of course, touches on speed. And what we're finding is that um, the, the need to move quickly is essential for us to be able to escape velocity and escape the, the pull of gravity that slows us down from an innovation perspective. And so, especially when we're innovating with a lot of other corporations, often large corporations, mm -hmm. Uh, we find that if it can't be done quickly, it probably shouldn't be done at all. So uh, we've actually found it as an essential ingredient to our success. Uh, and, and, you know, as we'll touch on shortly, we have an unusual level of success when it comes to outcomes right. and outputs. Um, the living piece comes from the fact that Chill has a very human-centered a very living human-centered focus when it comes to our processes. So as opposed to a lot of the hardware labs or dead labs that we have in a Cisco context, yeah, yeah. I mean, we have acres and acres of labs and data centers mm -hmm. where no human being, they don't even have lights in them because no human being ever needs to go into them. This is, this is the polar opposite where um, human beings and users in particular are at the center of this process. Uh, we believe that innovation is an inherently uh, human endeavor uh, and as such uh, we think very very deeply about how we can drive a process of massive inclusion so that everybody um, who would need to be part of an innovation decision from frontline people, truck drivers, fleet managers, if we're looking at something like supply chain innovation, all the way up to our head of supply chain, uh, the SVP, or even our own CEO, who is part of our last uh, chill lab. If that's who needs to be on the ground in order for a decision to be made on the spot, then that's who we'll have on the ground. So that's where that living piece comes from. Yeah, that's really, really terrific. Uh, and having been at these labs, I can attest it, to how exciting that is to actually have those living elements living and breathing yeah. in a lab, making decisions and 
not just making decisions, but helping you make decisions. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it comes from the, the this idea that, um, I mean, the, the, the process of massive inclusion is about reversing the way innovation tends to happen. What tends to happen in an innovation process is that we come up with a good idea, and then we spend months and months socializing, begging for sponsorship, looking for cash, uh, and it can be the, the default position of connectors within our companies to put us in touch with the six other people around the company that we need to engage, we must engage before anyone would progress an idea in this space. And before you know it, we have a fool's errand on our hands because not only are we doing that across our own organization within Cisco, yeah. but we're trying to drive it within the other corporations that we feel we need to work with in order to be successful. So that that is a fool's errand. We need to flip this on its head and we need to we need to drive a process where everybody who needs to be part of that decision is physically there. They get to hear and see what the prototypes look like, see how the end users are responding, and that'll help inform a more or less on-the-spot decision to support and continue. Uh, and another piece that helps us drive things forward and achieve that hyper-innovation is that within the labs themselves, we go through iteration after iteration, quick iteration of prototyping, usually seven or eight rounds of your physical prototype right. within users in a couple of days. Right. And um, we try to dr drive that idea of what's the minimum amount we can do to put it back in the hands of end users in order to get more data. What's the smallest amount of investment? What's the smallest amount of time that we need in order to make a decision and move forward? And you know, we, we would usually take the signal of one of our participants moving slowly as meaning we probably need to move forward without them. So there's probably the business case for them probably isn't there now that was there before. So, so we'll often just continue to, to move the juggernaut forward. Uh, and again, that helps drive the energy, the commitment, the buy-in. Um, you know, we, we, by having small incremental commitments and investments, both on the night and afterwards, you know, what, by the time we've shared a POC investment across two, three, four different corporations, each corporation is usually dropping somewhere between like 40 and 70K for their stake in the process. And then we start to get into a realm where it's cheaper to continue the exploration than it is to pause and reconsider the business case and reconsider whether it's worth spending that much money and those sorts of pieces. So by keeping it all small, um, we can continue the momentum and continue to learn. And regardless of whether or not we all perfectly participate in the go-to-market, we've all learned an enormous amount from our stake in driving it forward and continuing that conversation. Yeah, that's really, really helpful and, uh, you know, and exciting considering you're looking at big, you know, bold things in big areas. Um, and you mentioned a moment ago supply chain and, you, you know, uh, and the Chill Lab has been focused on supply chain, retail, also healthcare. This time is future of work, and, and we'll probably dive into deeper into that. Uh, tell me a little bit of how you got here with the future of work uh, and what it means to you. Yeah, so um, I would love to say that we frame up each of the focus areas for the labs 
um, in a very sort of clear, methodical way, mm. or that it comes down from on high, or that what really happens is that the chill team starts to signal to the marketplace that we think there might be something significant, disruptive, and interesting to a broader group, a broader cohort of players. We start signaling that to the marketplace about a year before we think we might want to run a lab in a space. Mm. And um, for about a year ago, we started signaling to the market that we were interested in this space and that we were interested in taking a look at the future of work. Um, we're also looking at the future of media and we're also thinking about um, potentially the future of mobility. So there's sort of three areas that we've been signaling to the marketplace are of interest to us. And the future of work has really captured the imagination of a lot of companies. You know, how we work together, what the implications are of some of these massive technological changes that we're facing, um, and um, exploring how that would be brought to bear across different industries is something that you know a lot of companies are thinking about very, very deeply at the moment. Um, the, the other nice thing about the future of work space is it really speaks to the heart of what Cisco is. You know, when we took a look at healthcare or we took a look at blockchain, we were taking a look at spaces that are um, at the edge of where Cisco operates. The future of work is at the center of where Cisco is already sort of delivering you know, bleeding edge technology to the marketplace. You know, I'm sitting in a state-of-the-art telepresence boardroom at the moment yeah. um, with recently refreshed hardware and technology from a telepresence perspective. Cisco has been driving the kind of telecommuting, working from home trend for a decade or more. I mean, it's it's over eight years since we acquired WebEx. Um, time trap, you know, flies fast. Um, so we're, we're already, we're looking at zones where, you know, we're really playing to our Cisco's key strengths. So for those that are really exploring this space with us, um, we're talking about um, you know, bringing some really core arsenal and core technology to how we think about these pieces. In addition to that, Cisco HR, because of this focus of the company, is also more or less at the bleeding edge of companies that think about the future of work. Um, speaking about things like the gig economy, I mean, we were already participating in POCs with technical specialists that we share with other technology companies, where we share their benefits and we share their employment with other technology companies around the Bay Area. Um, we have examples of paying people through the gig economy with Bitcoin. I mean, we're already representing um, different ways to look at how you can get more out of your workforce. So I think for me, that's one of the things that's so interesting about this particular lab is that not only is the future of work and how um, human beings are gonna be supported in their work by technology, how behaviors are gonna change, how we're going to attract and retain the worker of the future, all of those trends that are really dear to the heart of a lot of companies right now, I think the other angle is that talking about Cisco leading an innovation dialogue that speaks to the very heart of our competencies as a company. So it's going to be a really fun lab where we're bringing a lot of core muscles uh, to bear when it comes to what we're going to be able to make available to those that are playing in this space with us.
Yeah, so that's super exciting. And, and of course, I think everyone goes to the future of work and they immediately think of uh, robots and, uh, you know, and warehouses and things like that, which I think is part of it. Yeah. And you also mentioned, you already mentioned that Cisco's been at the heart of future of work for a yeah. decade or, or more. Um, can you give us a little, maybe a sampling of some of the technologies that uh, you think will bring into the lab, you know, just off yeah. the top of your head that you think are going to be really exciting and important to, to yeah. focus on? Yeah. So look, I think um, the aggregation of a lot of individual pieces of technology are going to be some of the things that are really interesting about this living lab. But when I think about the themes of what we'll ultimately focus on, mm -hmm. and in all honesty, I don't know. I don't know exactly what we'll focus on because what happens is that every company that joins a living lab cohort uh, becomes an equal shareholder, an equal stakeholder in what we ultimately focus on in the lab. Um, but my sense, my gut feel in terms of what we'll ultimately focus on, uh, my sense is that it will be on um, the augmenting the worker of this, the future space. So of all the pieces that we could focus on, you know, the, the future of the work space, uh, gig economy type conversations, my guess is that augmenting the worker of the future and really turning every worker into a knowledge worker is my sense for that kind of vein of shared interest between a lot of companies. So turning every worker into a knowledge worker and providing every worker with decision support, better access to information, on the spot, on demand, um, training and information delivered through uh, mixed reality and interfacing with other devices, including robotics around them. I think those are some of the zones where we're going to see uh, a lot of interest. Um, I think the interfacing of with things like, like robots and chatbots are going to be really core, and especially as we start touching on the um, artificial intelligence and machine learning spaces, empowering people to access that kind of information and data with ease, through natural language, through a chatbot, through an interface like that, that's really approachable. Uh, and that where you don't need to be a data scientist to have access to that information. I think some of those pieces are we're gonna see a, a really rich vein of opportunity. And certainly in Cisco's case, you know, in the last sort of six months or so, we've acquired a company called AppDynamics, um, you know, one of the largest and most dramatic acquisitions that were made uh, in the Valley in the last, um, in the last year or so. Um, we, we picked up the AppDynamics company, which is very much focused on big data and analytics and, and making that data available uh, with ease to those within the company. Um, I think our acquisition of the MindMeld chatbot software and bringing that into our Spark collaborative technology portfolio uh, is um, you know a very interesting development. So I think some of making some of those muscles available to those companies that join 
uh, the cohort, and then and then exploring whole new zones of interest where sort of maintenance engineers on the field, whether they're working in the aerospace industry or they're working in a Cisco context on a rack of, of our hardware and equipment, being able to empower that worker via their mixed reality device to be able to recognize what they're looking at, be able to access data about, you know, up to the minute information about how that ought to be fixed and what might be going on with it and how that might interface with other pieces and the, the checklists, you know, pulling in their Oracle information to make those checklists available so that all of this is fed back to the core. I think those are some of the pieces that are going to start being really um, you know, richly valuable for those that participate. Yeah, and Chatbot uh, brings up something uh, interesting, you know, and you sort of started talking a little bit about you know, so how do these things start to intersect, right? You get AI and then, you, you know, you get these chatbots and it starts to meld into something that perhaps augments how people actually work. And, and you get other things uh, that are maybe more appropriate for the field, um, you know, AR and, and VR and things like that. When you think about all these things in the, in the context of the whole, in the context of the lab, what are you most excited about? What are you most excited about going into this lab it's at the heart of what Cisco does. There's tons of really cool technology, great companies coming on board to be part of it, to create something new. What are you most excited about personally? Yeah, so my sense is that the real promise of our connected future that has been offered to us through the internet and through the, the, re, the advances in technology over the last 15, 20 years, we haven't fully recognized or realized. I mean, if you fell asleep in about 1920 and you woke up in 1950, you would not recognize the world around you. you know, the, the, the leap in progress in humanity from before the Second World War to recently afterwards was so dramatic that um, you know the 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 roads were barely the same, the houses were barely the same. Um, you know, in 1950, we found ourselves on the brink of television technology and um, aerospace. You know, advances in aerospace thanks to the Second World War. All of these pieces were were really net new, and that so that leap in time, those 30 years were absolutely dramatic. Now, if you fell asleep in you know, 1987 and you woke up this year, um, other than you know, really different hairdos, you, know, you don't really see the like, intrinsic fundamental human difference in the universe from then to now. Sure, the internet um, has been a fascinating addition and Googling and all those pieces and how our attention is split and how we access information is very different. But the fundamentals of how we wake up, live our lives, get to work, remains more or less unchanged from now to back in the late 80s. I think that we're about to get to a time when the, it's the aggregation of these technologies that's really going to affect um, you know, how we experience our workplaces, how we consume our workplaces, which of course makes up much of our lives. And so I believe that the opportunity that's afforded by this lab and, you know, this next five years when it comes to the topic of 
how we live our lives and what the future is going to look like from a working pr perspective, I think we're going to see really dramatic changes. And I think a lot of it will be through this, this data piece. You know, a, 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 an engineer who's able to access better, massively better data is going to massively reduce the amount of time they need to spend going through their education, going through degrees. And what will that mean for that period in our lives? Um, the, 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 the this very skills that we, that we need to adopt and, and what is likely to be a career, I believe will massively shift in the next five to 10 years time. Uh, and so I think this particular living lab affords those that join us on this journey with a really unique opportunity to help shape what that will look like. Um, Living Labs always drive, you know, a, a really broad portfolio of opportunities of joint exploration. So my sense is that you know, we'll end up with a, a portfolio of joint investments and joint areas of exploration that have the sponsorship across each of the participating organizations. My sense is that pipeline will broaden over the years as this cohort continues to make these sorts of explorations together. And my sense is that we'll, there'll also be a meta level of learning that comes out of these, um, these experiments that gives us each of these corporations a very different perspective about how they wish to shape their organization's response to the talent needs of the future and respond to uh, how ultimately we're going to drive these corporations forward. Excellent. So there's lots of companies that come to these labs, and we've had uh, at, at uh, Chill Labs, we've had D.B. Shanker, and of course Cisco's there, and Intel, and GE, and Citibank, and lots of others. They're, they're, some of these companies are coming to this lab, and then lots of new companies are coming to this lab. What should they expect coming to a Chill Lab, uh, and what words of advice would you give to people in these big companies coming to a lab like this? Yeah, so um, you know, for those who are coming to a living lab for the first time, um, the structure of the living lab um, helps drive uh, a lot of the inherent um, sponsorship requirements to drive innovation forward. Um, a lot of the research and end-user acceptance testing is kind of built in to how these labs are structured. So for a lot of innovation capabilities within large organizations who are used to bearing the bulk of that burden, a lot of that is built into and, and delivered as part of this format. Um, how deeply we work across your organizations to include senior leadership, um, how we can attract those senior leadership and senior sponsorship through the fact that they'll be on teams with their peers um, the, the, the fact that we are able to deliver end user acceptance testing as part of the process and design itself, all of these pieces end up being quite a surprise to those who are used to delivering pipelines of innovation projects within their corporation. So that piece is, 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 a, is a great part of how we structure it. And if you like, you know, it's really about taking all of those pieces that usually come after an idea and we build them into how we structure the engagement itself. So it's worthwhile being aware that that's coming. I think the other piece is, um, you know, we'll walk out of this lab at 6.30 p.m. Uh, on the uh, 15th of February, we'll walk out of this lab with a portfolio usually of about 
uh, four or five large joint areas of exploration, like a pipeline of projects where usually three or four or five of the corporations present have raised their paddles and said, we are in on this idea, we wanna take it forward. Uh, and that's more or less, that's usually more or less binding. We don't get a lot of examples of where people raise their paddle and then later, you know, they drop out of their engagement um, in a process. We will have already organized and scheduled a lot of the necessary follow-up. So before the lab even happens, we'll have workshops on the calendar for those teams to come back together and that for those sponsors who've raised their paddles to be re-engaged to confirm what their involvement is driving forward. So a lot of those sorts of administrative sponsorship stakeholder engagement pieces, even beyond the lab themselves, have been pre-organized, pre-ordained, and that really allows us to focus on the quality of the concepts themselves. So it's important that folks are, are, are aware that a lot of that burden is being carried as part of the process itself. And then we'll step out of this living lab, as I said, at 6.30 on the 15th of February with a lot of that buy-in, a lot of that movement, a lot of the energy behind those concepts. And then what we'll be looking to do is to chunk down the next level of engagement to focus on what is the minimum we can do in order to get something back in front of end users. What decisions do we need to make in order to progress this particular concept? What knowledge do we need in order to take the next step? And so we usually try to chunk those, the next step POCs and experiments down to what can be achieved in 60 or 90 days with a minimum amount of investment uh, in order for us to progress. So that's how the immediate pipeline continues. Often that pipeline quickly broadens and extends. And those companies that are working together as part of this cohort identify other areas of opportunity that they want to pursue together. So for our supply chain living lab um, conducted in Berlin a couple years ago, um, we very quickly went from the five ideas that were pitched on the night to uh, like a portfolio of ideas that you know expanded to 18 and I think is now at around 12 kind of live areas of opportunity that are still um, being um, delivered. I mean, Cisco's not even involved in all of them. You know, some of them are being pursued independently by some of the cohort members, um, uh, you know, independent of us. So often the pipeline ends up being more of a long-term partnership of innovation exploration um, that you're pursuing together, which I think is really rich and, and, and valuable. And of course, what we're really looking to do is derive, you know, really significant outcomes. And those outcomes tend to look, you know, now that we've, you know, we've, we've, we've churned through a significant volume and pipeline of these sorts of opportunities, they tend to look like sort of two, two or three kind of types, if you like. The first is um, we do a lot of joint POCs so joint proofs of concepts, joint, you know, does this, does this technology even work? Um, and often that is backed by a, a, a startup. So there'll be a startup's technology uh, that will be the backbone of a joint proof of concept. And those sorts of projects are great because often large corporations that are on the bleeding edge to zones like this will all separately pay for POCs with those similar startups and be separately funding that, that exploration rather than all of us learning at once. Without sharing anything. Totally. Yeah. So that's great. The second thing that we often do is sort of large joint projects that require more joint development. Um, 
and it's sort of more complex than just let's throw this to a startup and see what happens. Um, so those sorts of projects also happen. Um, the third um, kind of outcome, and we've had one of these at each of the last three living labs, is that a startup is created from scratch. Now that is an opportunity where the, the participating companies are motivated to you create something new in the marketplace that's unavailable, it's often seen as something of a linchpin. So if only this existed, then we could do the following things within our large corporations. Now, creating your own company from scratch is absolutely a last resort. It is much easier for us to work with a startup, invest in a startup, support an existing startup, you know, it's is easier, they have some maturity, they've made a start on the journey, and there's an existing leadership team and framework in place. But sometimes it's just not there. And um, the fact that the way the living labs are structured, we are very oriented on the creation of solutions. And sometimes the, that the proposed solution just isn't, doesn't exist in the marketplace. Um, and rather than try to shoehorn what we're doing into what is in the marketplace, we will sometimes literally create something from scratch and we'll partner with the uh, venturing community or the accelerated community to literally birth a company from scratch, re re recruit a CEO and take it forward. Now, built into the design of the living lab, on each of these teams with these senior executives, the concepting teams, um, there is usually, well, there is always a CEO candidate uh, on that team. It'll be a, we call it a, a distinguished entrepreneur, and it is an entrepreneur CEO candidate that has been through this process before, raised capital before. Uh, and you know, in the lab, that person's real role on the floor of the lab is to make sure the team are thinking boldly and entrepreneurially enough. Um, but they're, they're also there just in case that team goes down a path that could lead to the creation of a company. Uh, and um, for the, the two successful startups that continue to this day that were born in that environment, the CEO was there on that day, on that team. Um, in some cases, they put their own capital into uh, driving that startup forward. And of course, that's really compelling for those of us who are looking to, to drive that support. So those are the three major yeah. uh, outcome options that could happen after February the 15th. Can you give us a, maybe one or two examples of a couple of those outcomes that have actually created something, either from yeah. any one of those three categories. Yeah, so the best example is probably the MyWays startup that came out of our living lab that we ran in the healthcare space 13 months ago. Um, that was a startup um, that uh, came out of insights we were getting at the time from the caregiver group. Now, when we were framing this lab, we didn't give a great deal of thought to caregivers as a target for the outcomes that we could work on. These are the parents and families and spouses of those suffering through the cancer process. The lab itself was about transforming the patient experience of cancer care. But through the power of our this living aspect, through this end user focus of our process, we had caregivers along with doctors and nurses in the uh, end user uh, group uh, that the corporations were working with. And that led to this idea about um, how do we build the communities that sit around a cancer patient? Um, and how, when, if I'm diagnosed today with cancer, Justin, God forbid, and you might say to me, well, Kate, let me know if there's anything I can do. Well, now the answer is yes. Well, actually there is. You can download the MyWays app 
and you can join the community of supporters that I have that are making sure I get through this, that, that someone is there to babysit my kids during my chemo appointments, that someone can pick help me pick up my drugs when I'm, when I'm incapacitated, when someone can cook me a meal or, or whatever it is that I need uh, in order to support me and my family through this process. So that is the My Ways um, startup. Um, it is actually going into 13 months later, it's actually going through its, its, its final release of, of you know, ready for customer consumption. They are currently closing their pre-seed uh, funding round uh, and they're currently getting support from Cisco. Cisco will be their first customer. Uh, and uh, we'll be making this available to Cisco employees as a benefit. Uh, they're getting investment from um, a community healthcare network who is present in that lab with them. And they are led, their CEO, uh, Mike Jordan, was their distinguished entrepreneur there on that day in that lab, that chill lab uh, last year. So um, you're right, it is a, a really great example of how the system can work and how this, um, you know, the power of the, the joint muscles of the different corporations uh, can come together to make, uh, to birth something brand new into the marketplace. Yeah. Listen, I'm, I'm super excited to be at this lab. I've seen how it works uh, and I've seen really just how some of these outcomes are shaped not only in the lab, but with these examples of things coming out of the lab, it works. Any last words from you about uh, living labs and uh, you know and where we're headed with this next one? Well, look, I mean, we're going through the really exciting process at the moment of identifying the best corporates to join us on this journey. So, um, this is a, an open invitation. Um, to those who corporations who are considering joining us and for those stakeholders within those corporates uh, who are um, you know looking to join this journey um, this is a, a, a really unique opportunity uh, to buy into and join a process that is going to be specifically designed and custom designed to result in disruptive outcomes and innovations that will shape the future of work um, we're looking to bring together a cohort of giants in the space, of thought leaders in this space, and to get our hands filthy as we build uh, options and prototypes that will help drive that journey forward uh, as we look to turn every worker into a knowledge worker, to support every worker uh, more thoroughly in their journey, and start unlocking some of the revolutions of recent uh, technology innovation and putting them in the hands of you know the average worker every day as they go about their nine to five. So um, this really is an amazing opportunity that we're making available, and we're looking we're really excited about those leaders and those corporations who will be joining us uh, to walk that journey with us. Well, perfect. So thank you so much, and uh, we look forward to seeing you at the Living Lab. And until next time, thank you. Thanks, Justin. All right, bye. <laughs>